The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome, welcome to, to the, the Legendarium. Legendarium. Sorry, if any of you have been doing a drinking game on most English parts, <laughs> I may or may but not But we have stop to say now. it with your slightly British accent, most English parts. Most English parts. <laughs> Oh, that was a terrible accent. I'm so sorry if anybody from Britain. (laughs) And welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. If you can't tell, I am not your host, Craig Hanks, because today we're doing something a little different. We are having... The first female takeover of the Legendarium. Oh, woohoo! <laughs> ladies. Ladies of Legendarium. So, just to make sure, if you want to listen to any of the older episodes, that you can find those on the legendariumpodcast.com. And if you enjoy listening to our podcast, we ask you to please consider supporting us on Patreon. And, of course, tell your friends and leave a review. Um, I am Stephanie Bruckman, and I'm going to be hosting this episode and you're gonna be amazing we have megan (laughs) from our blue team here with us today hey everybody and we also have our special guest kate rufner and we are so excited (laughs) to bring her on for the first time of our legendary podcast (laughs) i'm delighted to be here (laughs) so today we're gonna do a new book that i don't know if anyone's actually asked for but we're excited about it (laughs) we are doing pride and prejudice and zombies today and zombies and zombies, because... Wait, are there zombies in this book? Yes. Oh, I should have read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Megan, <laughs> can you please give us a synopsis of the book that you supposedly did not read? Why, yes. So we can all know, because none of us made it through high school English without reading Bright and Prejudice. <laughs> uh, well, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a zombie in possession of brains must be in want of more brains. In the early 19th century, Elizabeth Bennet and her sisters are warrior brides of death who protect their corner of England where a strange plague has taken hold of both living and dead. Their lives are interrupted when rich and handsome Mr. Bingley buys a house nearby and brings with him snobby gentleman warrior Mr. Darcy. Bingley falls in love with older sister Jane, a choice that Bingley's sisters and Darcy disapprove of because not only is she not rich, but her family is super embarrassing. Mr. Darcy is unnecessarily rude to Elizabeth, so she decides she hates him and is rude back. This rouses something within his most English parts that causes him to start staring at her a lot. Meanwhile, the pompous and clueless Mr. Collins comes to visit the Bennets and takes a liking to Elizabeth. The militia also comes to town, which causes Elizabeth's two youngest and most vapid sisters to go completely boy crazy. Mr. Wickham, an uncommonly attractive officer, for no reason whatsoever tells Elizabeth that he grew up with Mr. Darcy, and Darcy is the reason Wickham is so poor. Elizabeth refuses a proposal of marriage from Mr. Collins, so he proposes to Elizabeth's friend Charlotte, who's like, I've been infected with the strange plague anyway, so why not? Don't tell anyone, okay, Lizzie? (laughs) (laughs) After a fancy ball where the Bennett family is more embarrassing than usual and Mr. Bingley's servants are eaten by a group of the servants of Satan, Mr. Bingley and his friends go to London for what is supposed to be a short trip, but they later decide to stay there, effectively jilting Jane. Elizabeth visits the Collinses several months into their marriage and meets Lady Catherine de Bourgh, the greatest warrior in England, who also happens to be Mr. Darcy's aunt. Nobody seems to notice that Charlotte now enjoys the taste of her own blood because, hey, look how fancy Lady Catherine's dojo is. 
Darcy comes to visit his aunt and, with terrible timing, proposes to Elizabeth right after his cousin tells her that Darcy persuaded Bingley to dump Jane. Rather than accept the proposal, Elizabeth challenges Darcy to the death for hurting her sister, but honestly, she would have said no anyway because he has so dang much pride. Darcy nobly refuses to kill Elizabeth and instead writes a letter defending himself in the Jane Bingley affair and revealing how big a creep Wickham actually is. Oh, there's more. Youngest sister Lydia is invited by the colonel's wife to go to Brighton with the militia, and Mr. Collins finally figures out that his wife is one of the sorry stricken and remits her to Satan. Meanwhile, Elizabeth goes glamping with aunt and uncle Gardner and visits Darcy's estate of Pemberley because she thinks he isn't home, so why not poke around? Oh no! The one time she's unarmed, she's surprised by five and twenty unmentionables. But Darcy appears just in time to save the day. Turns out, he's nice when he's at home, and Elizabeth is starting to really like him, but a letter arrives from Jane. Ugh, Lydia ran away with that oversharing creep, Mr. Wickham. Elizabeth tells Darcy what has happened before rushing home to be with the family. Lydia and Wickham are found and get married, even though Mr. Wickham is now paralyzed and bedridden. They visit home one last time before moving to Ireland, and Lydia lets slip that Mr. Darcy was the one who found the couple and negotiated the marriage, though I'm still not sure how he convinced Wickham that beating him to a fluid-leaking bloody pulp was a good idea. <laughs> Mr. Bingley returns to Hertfordshire, and he and Jane get engaged soon after, but it takes a battle to the death with a disapproving Lady Catherine and her ninjas, wherein Elizabeth decides against beheading the lady so she doesn't ruin her chances with the nephew, for Darcy to realize that Elizabeth truly cares for him. England is still living under the shadow of Satan, but hey, our heroes get to live in connubial felicity ever after, and true love conquers all in the end, right? <laughs> <sighs> you that it. was really scary. Ken makes it look a lot easier. <laughs> so but you're thinking, Ken. that was a really long recap. What could you take out? Nothing. Nothing. No. Like, it just you would need all of that. I mean, recap. I left some stuff out, but... so uh, just... Plus, I think we need more servants of Satan and... Um, most English parts. Right. <laughs> Every time they mentioned that, I was I was like, oh, and now I'm thinking about English parts. That's, that's not so bad. Okay, so my first question is, what did you guys actually think of the book? I really, really enjoyed this book, but I have a hard time separating it from regular Pride and Prejudice. Like, it sometimes, <laughs> it was, it took me a while to get into it, to get started, but by the end, I was a little bit annoyed that we didn't get, like, an epic battle between a united Elizabeth and Darcy with the zombies. Mm. Mm. So, beginning, mm -hmm. I'm like, too many zombies. And at the end, I'm like, not enough zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the very first time I ever read Pride and Prejudice. I was a young teenager. So there were a lot of conventions of back and forth discussion that, mm -hmm. um, you know, like they would talk and Mr. Darcy would have this expectation of what people were going to do. And Elizabeth had this expectation. So there were a lot of unmotivated conversations for mm -hmm. me yeah. where there was, like, why would you do that? Or why would you think that? So plugging the zombies in made everything made sense. Oh, <laughs> like okay. everything makes sense now because there's this zombie thing going on. So it's more than pride, more than prejudice. <laughs> there's like bloody plague. And I was like, this makes so much more sense now. So as an adult, I found it very satisfying for my teenager hoodnership. I was like, that is what I would have wanted as a teenager. But now as an adult, I'm like, I'm just happy that everyone gets to live in connubial bliss. <laughs> right? <laughs> I just love that phrase, connubial felicity like <laughs> yes. it sounds so so proper and so dirty at the same time <laughs> this one was hard for me i agree with megan that i had a hard time getting into it for one thing it felt like the language was a little forced because mm -hmm. yes. he took so mm -hmm. much dialogue from the original pride and prejudice and tried to make sense of it mm -hmm. so i'm like this sounds 
fake almost like mm-hmm. you're just trying too hard with the language mm-hmm. and so it was it is hard to get into but once i kind of sat back and went this is a story i know it's a story i've read and seen and multiple different versions of it it <laughs> mm-hmm. i fell into the story a lot easier and you can enjoy it a lot more yeah, the, the framework was familiar. Yeah. Yeah. You, you knew where just, the story was going. Yeah. It was, it's right. just another adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. In fact, this is one of the few derivations that I did not find derivative. And I feel like oh. I am pretentious and sane <laughs> because this like derivative idea of like everything these days is derivative of something else. This actually was one of the first ones that I ever read that was like an adaptation of something else mm-hmm. taking a familiar framework so I think it was so fresh to me that I thought wow this is really cool um, the other thing that I really loved was her um, this sort of feminist perspective of her being a superhero mm-hmm. was so much more drawn out because of this particular um, storyline with the zombies yeah. that she could be way more uh, her own person whereas that was hard to explain in Pride and Prejudice without understanding all of the um, connections and etiquette conventions of the time. It's true. That that is one of my favorite things where um, Mrs. Bennett at one point is lamenting how all of her daughters are single and they're going to, you know, Mr. <laughs> Collins is going to throw them out when he gets the estate. And Elizabeth's like, uh, we can go and be like bodyguards yeah. or, <laughs> or mercenaries or something. Yeah. Like we can totally take care of ourselves. Just just kind of a nice perspective. <laughs> Jane Austen's dream. Right. To have some other occupation for a woman besides wife. Right. Well, and I thought there was a question as I was kind of preparing with this with this book that someone asked, is it better for the way that Mrs. Bennett was trying to raise her girls or the way that Mr. Bennett was trying to raise <laughs> his girls? Because he was all about the deadly arts. Like, mm-hmm. right. I am going to go and we're going to go to China and we're going to learn all this stuff. And Mrs. Bennett's like, I need to get my daughters married. So do you have an opinion one way or another? Do you think Mr. Bennett has a better idea or Mrs. Bennett has a better idea? I think it kind of depends on the person. I think it's interesting uh, with this dichotomy with the parents where it is, it's always been very apparent. But in, in this version, you have Mr. Bennett who is trying really hard to make sure his daughters are not like his wife, who it turns out like he married <laughs> her because she was pretty and she, you know, had okay connections and probably had some money. Um but it turns out he doesn't really enjoy spending time with her and she's kind of the worst. Um, and then Mrs. <laughs> Bennett is like, but this is all I know. It's so important that you get married and you don't even have to be accomplished. And I guess, you know, go fight zombies. Thanks for keeping us safe. But also, Jane, you're too beautiful to be single. You know, So that's kind of, you know, Mr. Bennett wants his daughters to be more and Mrs. Bennett just wants them to do something familiar with her, which I think is, is, kind of I I get that a lot because I'm still single I'm 30 plus and I I will kind of get that from people that are like I just I want this so much for you and it's like they want me to have what they have which I do also want but it's it's nice to have you know people who acknowledge they're like you have this amazing life that you built for yourself and you do this and this and this and it's they're not telling me I'm accomplished but basically they're <laughs> telling me I'm accomplished <laughs> Megan Smythe zombie hunter Shh. No, to the firm knowledge of all of the arts and music and language. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I think that um, I prefer Mr. Bennett's approach. Yes. Um, and in the original, I found Mr. Bennett to be one of my favorite moments in the book. Anytime he would show up, it'd be like, okay, good. Mr. Bennett's here. We can survive this. Um, 
the other thing though, I, I sort of missed this, that there's this moment at the end. And I feel like the movie with Donald Sutherland does this way better yes. where he says, I am quiet at my leisure. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he is training his girl so that he can be quiet at his leisure <laughs> so that he can do that. And in a way, I sort of think that's what parenting's meant to be. Listen, I'm going to birth you. I'm going to raise you. And then I'm going to get rid of you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and poor Mr. Bennett is living with the knowledge that he kind of screwed up when they were growing up because right. he thought he was going to have a son and that, you know, the son would take care of everybody. So he didn't save up for his daughter's dowries. And so in this version, he kind of has a way where he's like, OK, I can train him. They can take care of themselves. So when I die and somebody takes my estate, it's okay that they're poor because they can take care of themselves. Right. Whereas Mrs. Bennett, it felt like a lot of the time she's like, I am going to wait until someone else rescues me. And I felt that in both oh. the original and this one, that she was living within that particular society's mm -hmm. approach to someone else will take care of this. So I love his very independent example of let me teach these girls how to do these cool things. But then he's also using that example to teach them. So I felt like there was kind of the kernel of both. I was kind of surprised what they did with Mr. Bennett in this one, mm. um, especially as they talk about him taking the girls to China <laughs> and that he had his concubines or whatever yes. they talked about it, that he was not a faithful husband. Well, and Mrs. Not Gardner, also not a faithful wife. The, yeah. I don't know if you got that part. Yeah, I caught that one. Yeah. That they've played up on that a little bit more, which I think is a little unconventional for mm -hmm. the time period. Very. Yes. That usually you're a scoundrel and looked down upon and men usually could get away with it a yeah. little bit more than women. But it was supposedly the the way that the Chinese just were mm -hmm. as he was heading off to have his girls study in China. Well, and it's interesting that he doesn't hide it from Elizabeth, at least. like She's aware of this happening, which is yeah, I, I and I, I kind of feel like it's Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, Bennett's and Bennett's relationship that makes her say, I am not marrying anyone that I can't respect, that I don't actually love because I have seen what that's like and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. And it sucks for them and it sucks for the kids. And so I don't want that. But I'd like, rather be alone. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. knowing that her dad like had these affairs, it's like, yeah, no, nah, I don't want that. I'm good. I love that the first, like out of the 12 love stories in this book, we have chosen to talk about Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> so many other options. No one ever focuses on them. So let's well, get right. started with them first. I sort of feel like first. that's what the zombie thing does, though, is that it puts a microscope and, you know, this this um, different bent on all of these relationships. That means that you can examine, are these approaches or filters that we're going through actually of interest to a modern day audience. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's really interesting because it modernizes that approach to it. But the other thing that it does is it allows us to inspect, am I going to approach how my relationships that way too? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Which is what Jane Austen was all about. She was all about oh, examining yeah. relationships that you didn't see in the literature of the time. It's true. Well, you have something like Mr. Collins who is completely ridiculous and gives like one of the most offensive proposals <laughs> I've ever read in literature. Now, what made it offensive? Uh, <laughs> the fact that he's so freaking condescending. Like, I know you'll have another offer of, you'll never have another offer of marriage. So I'm just going to assume that it's yes. I know you said no, but I know women sometimes are like, oh, just kidding. Anyway. Elizabeth really does take the cake on proposals and all of this. Yes, so. really. So she wins. Um, wait, what did you say? Elizabeth takes the cake when it comes to proposals. She gets all the best this ones. This poor woman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, but it, like when you read it and you think of it in the context of the time when Pride and Prejudice was written, that was actually a fine proposal. Like it was very logical <laughs> that, I mean, the way he did it was not nice, but you know, it was 
a very logical match and it you know people didn't necessarily marry for love it's like oh well you're the right family and so let's get married i've known you for a week that's a a sufficient (laughs) amount of time um and so it it was it it was very shocking when they said no but then you have charlotte who is kind of the opposite approach she's like i think it's important that you spend as little time as possible with the person you're marrying beforehand (laughs) and you need to show them that you're more interested than you actually are because then you can hook him and you know she's really like poor charlotte is an old maid she's 27 like She's a burden to her parents and she's going to be a zombie and it's just I hard. I think that was the part so. that I loved in this I though is too. that she is, she has that plague. And so that justifies a lot of her actions. Mm-hmm. In the original, I thought, Charlotte, what's your deal, buddy? Yeah. Like really age is that big of a deal that you can't survive? Like yeah. really that bad? Like it's So this plague thing justified <laughs> that for me a little right. more. I've always been really impatient with Charlotte Lucas. So I'm not going to start it. I feel like I know a couple of Charlotte Lucases, so I I can kind of see that. But it makes me sad every time when I meet somebody. I'm like, I'm sorry, Charlotte. Uh, I'll I'll try to love you more. I have again that was a valid way of going, but it's just with them turning her into a zombie. I was like, really? And then watching her as she progresses through her zombieism that no one seems to notice. Yeah, her (laughs) family speech. Family's like, oh, she's doing so well and she's so happy. Yeah, she's like (laughs) eating her own hand at one point, and everyone's like, oh, poor Charlotte. Like she's just have some tea. Bless her heart. Like that's just how she is. Like forget England. We're from the south of England. Bless your heart. But I was so confused by all of that. It's like, seriously, how how do you not notice? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know how long it takes to become a zombie because they've seemed to overtake the entire countryside and they're all over the place and so people quickly. are attacking them. Yeah. yeah. I think but if they're already Charlotte, dead, it's really fast. But if they're living and they're slowly decaying, it takes a while. Right. I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I never I really thought that. I feel like every that. zombie story she has their own version of zombies. She was there for like months becoming a zombie. Ah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you find out that they had to. It well, explain- and we- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say it does explain why she's like, hurry. Don't spend a lot of time with me. Hurry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please come and visit us really soon. Hurry. Let's get married now. You don't have to spend time with me. We got this. It's yeah. cool. We're good. <laughs> well, I'm sure they don't spend a lot of time together once they're married because maybe if they did... Mr. Collins would be more aware. But I also, I mean, Lady would. Catherine mentions what? I don't think he ever would. I probably not. He really seems surprised to the point where <laughs> poor Mr. Collins, he has now in so in love with his wife, has decided to commit suicide upon mm-hmm. her demise. Yeah. I was like, okay, that, that that's new. That was abrupt. It makes it I, I and I read that the first time and I thought, well, how are they going to address the whole like letter to Mr. Bennett about Lady Catherine not approving of Darcy liking Lizzie. And then it was Colonel Fitzwilliam that writes the letter. And I just thought that's, Mm -hmm. that didn't ring true to me, Mm -hmm. but I guess you had to do it somehow. I kind (laughs) of liked that he committed suicide because it seemed like a very, just like, is this the appropriate thing to do? What does one do? You know, and I could sort of see <laughs> thinking uh, that my way. Wife. Then, my yes, this wife. Is I mean, what should do. I do Her now? Her wife like, has been remitted to Satan. So I guess. Like I'm the Emily Post of the day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what's that? The, the polite thing to do. <laughs> so I sort of read that into sure. it, but that was my overlay. Well, and then there's a weird part of me that's like, <laughs> wait, if Mr. Collins is dead, like, who does the Longbourn estate get t- entailed to? Like who's the next person, or does it just go back to the Bingley daughter, or to the Darcy, to the 
my gosh, what are their names? The Bennett. Bennett. <laughs> like, are they okay? And they never address that. Well, like, I'm sure there's some other distant cousin somewhere along yeah. the lines. I'm probably the, like one of the, they're seven people who have thought about that. Yes. You are. <laughs> That's why we love you, though. Because Mr. Collins even says, he's like, you don't have to worry about me taking over your state because I'm going to be dead by the time you get this letter. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. But, and then Mrs. Bennett rejoices. So. I do agree with the Fitzwilli- Fitzwilliam thing that that would have been weird to write a letter. Like, I don't know that. Just out of the by some get, random like, person. Random militia person writing me a letter yeah. about the fitness of my you know, future family. I don't know that I would have been like, hmm, I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, I, that seemed yeah. kind of arm like rested in, you know, just like maybe maybe he could have made more more about Lady Catherine's abilities. And I'm trying to save your lives because she's going to come try to murder you all. Like, I, I didn't really get that sense. I just thought it was a yeah. very odd thing for him to do. Yeah, out of the blue. That was strange. I don't know. So, Megan, in your pages upon pages upon pages <laughs> of so notes. many pages notes, it's the best. <laughs> Do you have anything else that stood out that you want to, that we need to talk about? Or we're just going to keep talking about relationships because Ken, I know, is going to listen to this podcast and all he wants to hear about are the relationships. I'm going to love it so book. much. I want to say. relationships. <laughs> um, right. There's some beheading though. So he has to be happy about that. Yeah, there's yeah, some bloody fights. Which is kind of fun. <laughs> we're headed I, I felt like the fight scenes in this, speaking of Ken. We can, we can get to the punching. I felt like the fight scenes in this were really well written. <laughs> like, they're just hilarious. I love the whole scene between, um, I, I personally feel that every adaptation from now on should have a big fight scene between Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy when he proposes that first time. Because both the way it's written in this book and the way that they do it in the movie version mm-hmm. of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies just makes me smile the whole time. It's so funny. And like the thought of of her fighting with Lady Catherine and her ninjas yeah. at the end um, just makes me giggle. And the fact that Elizabeth is able to best Lady Catherine and what is the quote? She has an actual quote that I really like. <laughs> <laughs> she's humming her own hold music it is okay you shall live and for the rest of your days you shall know that you have been bested by a girl for whom you have no regard and whose family and master you have insulted in the harshest possible manner boom <laughs> elizabeth bennett is fantastic <laughs> so that just makes me happy <laughs> and i i like the little details about how you know elizabeth uh, instead of playing the piano to, you know, dance, monkey dance at Lady Catherine's house, she uh, is doing handstands for like three hours and standing on one, or, you know, her just on fingers. one hand and then one finger. Yeah, her fingertips. Because she's so amazing. Oh, just makes me happy. And her, what is it, modesty cord? Uh-huh. I don't remember what they called it, to keep her dress up around her ankles <laughs> yeah. while she's well, doing her handstands. And at one point, she's by herself fighting the zombies, so she doesn't have any problem like lifting up her skirts to kick one in the head that's okay it's it's also interesting though i i like that they kind of bring in the um asian inspired aspect of it and that there's this little bit of the rivalry between the rich fancy people go to japan but the poor just kind of fancy people go to china and it makes me think that i had i had a friend once tell me that um asian people are kind of racist against other asians (laughs) and none of us are asian so i don't want to get too much into that but i just like reading this i was like oh that's so funny that they're they're like that concept is being pushed onto like these early British women people. <laughs> and then they actually were well traveled. They actually got to go to these places. And Elizabeth, when thinking of her future, is like, 
and we will take them to Kyoto and to this other place, and we will all go and fight by the river together. <laughs> Just will be a foundation of their relationship. That's how we all dream about raising our children. Right? We will take them to To Kyoto. be just like us, and we will take them to Disneyland, and it will be a magical. Because um, that's what I like to do, <laughs> and I want to take my kids there if I get some. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you feel like the book got... I, I was kind of weirded out by how violent the thoughts of the characters got. Like Elizabeth all of a sudden is listening to her sister Lydia converse and she pulls out her her sword and cuts her head off. And then she looks at Lydia and goes, oh, I didn't actually cut her head off. Dang it. Like there were moments when I was like, wow, like Elizabeth, Darcy insults her honor. And the first thing that she's going to do, she's going to go out and she's going to kill him. Yeah. Like, okay, that that's abrupt. I mean, there's one thing about wanting to duel people, but yeah. Kate's looking at me. She's like, no, there is there is plenty of this. This is good violence. This is how women should be acting. No, 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 no. I just remember reading the book the first time. And the very first time, the Pride and Prejudice, the original one. And the very first time Lydia's like, I will go before you because I'm now married. Now, I have younger sisters. So uh. I think that the violence of that moment for me was like, yeah, I probably would have beheaded her. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe this is just me. I mean, you know, I've self-defense I really love the martial arts like this is a thing that <laughs> probably I was raised with so of course I would think that so I'm not sure every woman has thought that however if you are to examine some of the things that Lydia does they are quite violent in context of the original book so that all we're having to do is just up the violence now to something that we would understand is quite shocking mm-hmm. all the things that Lydia does and says in that time period would have been very shocking so I think that that level of shock was appropriate but again, that might just be my fantasy that I could be had a sister for sassing me. <laughs> my first inclination is always to be like, Ryan's upset me. I should take him out and kill him. So. <laughs> and then I will administer the seven cuts of shame. Okay, yeah. but we have to be like Austin. Consider income first. As Megan mentioned, who does the estate go to? Yeah. Right? yeah. Before we can who take my them house out. Go to? Right, yes. exactly. Do you trust your child to take care of you after... <laughs> Ryan is gone. Yes, my five-year-old is quite capable. Yeah. He makes himself breakfast every morning what? by pulling out his lucky charms and a bowl. He's good. Like <sighs> I, I feel like he could take care of me if needs be. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's so. Um, Don't the, tell Ryan the, that we're talking this way. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't need to know. Um, I, I also appreciate the warrior aspect in that it does give um, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth a something else in common that gives them a little bit more of an equality. Because um, I read in the end where Elizabeth's like, oh, I'm now figuring out how we are actually really, really good for each other. And I could help him to be more outgoing and kinder. And he could help me to be, I don't know, more popular, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, but she also talks about how, well, you liked me because I was lively and I didn't chase you. But also these other like flirty women don't know about the joy of fighting and the, the joy of, you know, taking a beating heart and eating it in front of your enemy. And, uh, you know, these are things that we have in common. And so they never could have satisfied you. And he's like, this is true. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't have that at all. But um, it's, it's just kind of nice that it gives them a little bit more of something that they have in common where they can go fight together. It's something that they can enjoy instead of, you know, like sitting and reading, which is also delightful, but it's harder to do as a team. Sitting there reading Reading's over someone's shoulder. Yeah. It's not really a team. Well, and I think it's 
funny they talking about Darcy because he's also he has twice that he pretty much cripples Wickham to a to a pulp like I still don't understand satisfying, that and I period. like that was something satisfying. that I hate about the book what I hate it oh I love I that part so oh my goodness I lo- that's probably just more my violent well thoughts, first though. Darcy as a child <laughs> Wickham I can't even remember what Wickham does to deserve it it's to a stable he, I don't remember what he does. No, he wants he wants to go and beat a stable boy or like kill him because he didn't treat his horse correct. Like he didn't brush his horse properly or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wickham does something dumb as Wickham usually does. And right. Darcy breaks his legs. What I find is interesting though is almost every time, and I can't actually think of an example in the book where he doesn't, but almost every time Darcy talks about violence that he has done to someone else or, or it's talked about that he's done violence to someone else, it's because he is trying to defend someone. Yeah. So he's defending England from the zombies. He's defending... All of womankind from Mr. Wickham. He's <laughs> defending the stable boy from Mr. And Wickham. And horses. Yeah. Like he's he's really just trying to protect. He doesn't like go and injure people for the sake of injuring them. I don't really know of him going and like having a duel to the death because his honor has been slighted. He really like he takes this very serious where, where I'm a protector. These people need help and they can't do it themselves. So I guess I'm the sheepdog and these are the sheep and I'm protecting them from the wolves. So it's not the thought of the violence that bothered you. It was. I don't. I think part of it is like Litter's response to the whole thing. And I just I didn't all of the talk about him like soiling himself in this conversation. All that like I know that was supposed to be really funny, but I just I don't I don't enjoy that humor. So that was just me. And I and I'm sitting there and I'm like nothing about this. I mean, we all know that Lydia and. Mr. Wickham are never going to be happy together anyway. But like the idea that she is going to be like she thinks she's going to be just fine taking care of her poor lame Wickham like sitting in a room for the rest of her life. I'm like that. Now, do you really think she's going to be taking care of him? Yeah, no. At all. Uh-uh. I guess no. That actually makes me feel better because I'm like, uh, I feel like this is calculated to make neither of them happy. And again, why would Wickham allow that? Like how much did he get never. paid? He got because he got the he got his debts erased and right. then they mm-hmm. get a thousand pounds a year mm-hmm. right and that's and then he and then Darcy and then you're lame so you and cannot do I guess uh, there's a <laughs> there's a you know joy in not having to work so much I, I just, don't know I don't know what I brought in do. that quote from Sense Sensibility people always live forever when there is an annuity to be paid yes. <laughs> so I kept thinking that the entire time I was like Wickham's gonna live forever. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> Ooh, is it just during his life or is it Lydia's life or I don't know oh they're children mm. can you imagine their children I just thought of this I've never ever thought of Wickham they can't and Lydia's have children. children I was that's like, true that's I true they can't have children that's true that's true that's true that will never be a thing <laughs> thank you for solving that issue for me because I just had that thought oh my god I guess that doesn't actually mean they can't have children I mean there are plenty of wheelchair bound stories out there where people have I guess that's true. He just can't go and like impregnate but, random women. Yeah, he he's not going to. Is that be... what you meant by most English parts? <laughs> Did you not assume that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really thought. Okay, never mind. It, it's true. Coming from me, I could have meant something a whole lot more innocent that I did not. When we were talking about the violence and everything, I was thinking as I was reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That how interesting it would be to overlay that in some of other of Jane Austen's books. And the one that I really, really, really want someone to do is Persuasion. I really <laughs> think yes. that, that would be so fascinating <laughs> to have the powers of fight. 
in any of those characters. Because Anne Elliot is so silent. Yes. Yes. So quiet. Like she's very introverted or in. She's very mental, but, you know, just to have an outlet to be able to do some of that. Yes. I did feel like that gave us more power in this book, though, that there was extensions of things that we got to see characters drawn in very um, extensive or extenuating circumstances Mm -hmm. so that there was a point that you got to know the character better as a result of that. Because when you give someone more power, all you do is show off more of their character, their center, where they're coming from, what they want. And I felt like that was really cool here. I think one couple, as we're moving along with these couples that we're talking (laughs) about, that Mm. I think upped her status above his is Jane and Mr. Bingley. Yes. Is that she now has so much more value mm-hmm. than just her lack of a dowry or whatever like mr mm-hmm. bingley in the original um jane austen book is the one that's come bringing everything to the table like mm-hmm. she he is heightening her status so much mm-hmm. but in this one he doesn't fight mm-hmm. he's scared of these zombies mm-hmm. like he doesn't really bring much <laughs> other than so he now has wealth <laughs> and he is he's quite adorable yep. in all of this but she brings something to the table in this book that I think that that extra power that they've yeah. given her has really heightened her character. And I Martial love arts. that. The Although great equalizer. It's, it's interesting because these women are, you know, they've promised king and country that they will protect the country until they are married, lamed, or killed. And so, it's, you know, once she gets married, she's supposed to retire. Um, but it sounds like she has a hard time doing that because Mm-mm. they have to move away from Netherfield. No, I, I see a Jane else. Bingley superhero <laughs> yeah. spinoff here, don't you? It's like sneaking out at yeah. night. Uh-huh. Where's my super suit? <laughs> <laughs> I am the greatest good. <laughs> it's so true. Well, just because she does give it up for a little bit until they buy someplace near Pemberley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. they build a... Mm-hmm. A dojo so they can continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so her yes. and Elizabeth yeah. can continue on with their fighting and... And whatnot. But I was wondering why why do the Bingleys not fight? None of them do. Well, I think part of it is that they they pretty much grow up in England or in London. And in London they have a bunch of soldiers taking care of them and it's walled, like crazy thick walls. And yes, it you know, and they're in like a really swanky rich part of London so I'm sure they have the really good walls surrounding so like them the and really good. but like they've <laughs> never the I'm, I'm thinking they probably just never had to protect mm-hmm. themselves whereas you know out in Pemberley or out at Huntsford with Lady Catherine there would be zombies showing up every once in a while they would like show up at your house and you'd have to defend yourself literally 20 and 5 zombies outside <laughs> Mr. Darcy's what lake and um <laughs> Lake, moat, river, I don't know. But I really like that mental image where I'm like, oh, that's nice. Do you have a moat? Uh, but, you know, if you live in the middle of town, you don't necessarily have the same need. What? Do you not want a moat at your house? No, I just was thinking about that movie where everyone, like, freaks out about Colin Firth walking out of the water. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that's probably why this is a thing is because he has to go through his own moat every time he goes yeah. home. <laughs> And then it's so embarrassing. It's like, ah, I am all wet. And there's Miss Elizabeth. And she thinks I'm really cool. And she knows I'm not now. (laughs) Well, it seems like fighting the the martial arts is almost like a status. And I'm a little surprised that the Bingleys don't step up with that somewhere along the way, whether it's their parents somewhere that 
said, no, we don't want to raise our children this way. Because if the wealthiest woman in the world has some mm-hmm. kick-ass knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Crying <laughs> even looked at me. She's like, I can't believe she just said that. Maybe maybe it's a maybe it's a case of like showing that women can't have it all. Like we can try to do it all, but we can't necessarily do it all. Where there's there's a quote that says, In my experience, I think it's Elizabeth. In my experience, a woman is either highly trained or highly refined. One cannot afford the luxury of both in such times. As for my sisters and I, mm. our dear father thought it best that we give less of our time to books and music and more to protecting ourselves from the sorry stricken. So, so Bingley might have just chosen refinement then. <laughs> yeah. The finer things cost. Yeah. I don't know. Well, because there's that entire conversation about what makes an accomplished woman. Yes. And they do. They talk about the fine arts, the, the arts, the languages, the music. But then they even go on to studying martial arts and if you're going to be truly accomplished that's something else that you have to have in your life so i was kind of surprised that the being least didn't have some sort of knowledge because even in caroline's own opinion mm-hmm. she's not accomplished yeah yeah that's true and okay can we just bring that up for a minute though when you referred to earlier these violent thoughts the thing that i had a problem with was why we're gonna get mad at darcy like i'd be getting <laughs> mad the other ladies yeah like, seriously come on yeah. are you kidding me Stop being such jerks about stuff. I mean, I know there was some fights and stuff, but like, really, come on. I know. We're going to like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're we're in this society where women have more than words that they can use to defend themselves. Yeah. Because generally it's like women are backbiting and, oh, let's spread this rumor about this person. Oh, she's so poor. They have different tools. Yeah. I wanted that explored more. Yeah. That is one thing I find interesting about this book is that it's not... I mean, obviously, it's an adapt- adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, but it's not a book where, like, we don't find out how this plague started. We don't find out where the zombies came from. We don't find the specifics of, you know, how long does it take for a person to turn into a zombie. We don't have a cure at the end. It's not, you know, this is not a zombie tale. It's like a slice of life within um, this larger mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, life continues on and these people have to live it. So this is what this little family is doing. There's, these are not like the important people who are solving the problem. They're just they're just taking care of their house, their home. So I do know, and I have not read them, so I have no opinion on them, that there is a prequel to this book <laughs> mm-hmm. as well as a sequel to this mm-hmm. book. <laughs> um, the prequel is called Dawn and the Dreadfuls. Mm. Okay. I'll just say, mm. who is Dawn? <laughs> oh, okay, apparently now I'm curious and I have to find something out about it. So, Kate, have you read these? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. So, Kate is not impressed. Okay. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't read them. Right. I, if you really enjoy the framework with the overlay of these stories and all the questions that you just asked, I oh. think that there's some more things to be explored among that. Also, if you're enjoying the just how cultures are put together, there are some interesting things within this that um, they could have explored more and they didn't. I, I didn't really feel like it was a great representation of either one. Okay. That doesn't mean that they're not good books. It's just I'm a Jane Austen fan. So that's right. why I read it. I'm right, gonna, me too. I'm going to go through that filter. So for me, both of those books were perfectly fine on their own mm-hmm. as like an approachable book, a good novel, a basically good framework and a story that provided more in, information and everything just it wasn't often. Yeah. If you enjoy zombies, read yeah. those books. If you enjoy, Austin. you know, Pride and Prejudice, read Sense yeah. and Sensibility. Or Emma. Or right. Emma. Right. Well, and the sequel to this is Dreadfully Ever After, and it follows 
Darcy and Elizabeth after the wedding, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very much the extent of my knowledge of those two books. I just know they exist. So if you're interested in following this particular <laughs> story, there are some other books that you can read. We also, just didn't. And then let us know what you thought. There's a graphic novel. Now, oh. this I did enjoy, but that's because I really enjoy graphic novels. Okay. So um, I felt like it was a good representation. It's written by Tony Lee, okay. uh, one of the writers of Doctor Who, and um, that was fun. So it's not someone who loves the source material. It's someone who really loves zombies. So okay. <laughs> again, with okay. a filter. But for a graphic novel, I think that's the fun part. You know, you, you do want to see wickham drool i if that's a thing for you <laughs> enjoy <laughs> so, oh mr wickham yeah if, i mean that's the thing that interests you wickham's drool <laughs> what me. more reason really do yes, you need yeah. that's that's the whole reason that anyone reads i mean does it novel. highlight darcy's most english parts <laughs> <laughs> no but servants of satan definitely okay factor in. all right <laughs> I'm sorry if any of you have been doing a drinking game on most English parts I may or may not stop now but we have to say it with your slightly British accent most English most parts, English parts. <laughs> oh that was a terrible accent I'm so sorry if anybody from Britain is listening to this <laughs> I was going to try another accent and then I realized it was going to be Australian and that's not the same at all <laughs> how else can that's we that's derivative <laughs> that is oh, shame on me <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think we've kind of touched a little little bit here and there about their relationship. But of course, all of this comes down to Elizabeth and Darcy yes. and what we think of their relationship. How do you think the, I mean, I know we've kind of talked about how that gives, the zombies give them an extra something in common. Mm -hmm. How else do we think that this adaptation has affected their relationship? Uh, to me, there was a sort of um, symbolism. <laughs> I know this sounds like I'm trying to make it so deep. <laughs> but really, as I was reading, I thought, what an interesting way to explore a relationship that you share this violence in common, oh. that there is the semblance, a symbolism about how pride is really quite violent. We just don't do it to each other physically. Mm -hmm. And uh, this prejudice that we have against one another, that is also quite violent. <laughs> so I felt like this sort of stood in for that. And you had a little more um, uh, interaction between the two of them because there was that element. Mm -hmm. You go, Stephanie. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, because I have thoughts about this. <laughs> That's why I asked the question. Oh, oh no. Sheesh, Megan. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're looking at me now. Am I supposed to go? Yes. How yes. many pages oh. do you have there? <laughs> She's like, you're the one with 12 pages in front of you. She's got a whole notebook. I, it's all typed, no, by the way. No, this is what? Your your things are typed. My notes for this were typed because I, I was reading the actual book and I felt I didn't feel like, you know, copying all of the pages of the book. I just want it known that like that's how many notes you took. I love that you went this in depth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's that's how I that's how I roll uh, when I have time to do that. We've been <laughs> you know talking about this for a month, so I had time. Mm -hmm. Um, I. What I find interesting is Elizabeth gets to the point where she realizes that she really likes Mr. Darcy and and she, uh, you know, he shows up at Longbourn towards the end before she like it's after she's rejected his proposal and fought him to the death. And it's after she's been to Pemberley and seen, oh, he's actually quite a nice person when he's not surrounded by people he's super uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, no, it's before Lady Catherine de Burke. But um, she has a comment where she says she was in no humor for conversation with anybody, anybody but himself. And to him, she had hardly the courage to speak. Me, she thought, who fears no man, 
who fears not death itself, and yet I am unable to summon but a single word because she likes him so much that just all of this matters a whole lot more. And it's another thing where she um, doesn't want to behead his aunt, where otherwise <laughs> she totally would because that lady deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she knows that if she did that, that it would hinder uh, her relationship with Darcy. And she just cares in regards for him. Like she cares for and respects him so much. She doesn't want to do that yeah. to him. Like she wants to leave that doorway open. And so it, it helps to temper her violence a little bit. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I just, I think they, the thought I like the relationship that I've been having is that I don't think the zombies have affected the original relationship between Darcy mm-hmm. and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I think it, it stands well on its own that you can still follow their love story. And I'm mm-hmm. a hopeless romantic at heart. Aww. That's the whole reason I read Jade Lake. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice in the first place. That's mm-hmm. one reason why we like it. You, we love following the relationships between these people. Mm-hmm. And even though now they are fighting zombies, the heart of the relationships are still there. You mm-hmm. can still follow how insecure Darcy can be mm-hmm. about his relationship and the fact that he's falling in love with Elizabeth. And you can still follow Elizabeth as she's reali- realizing that Darcy isn't the person she first thought he was and how they get to the point where they do love each other. Cause it's not like so many of these relationships a week later and I'm in love with you and <laughs> life goes on and it's happy. And which is kind of a little bit how Jane and Mr. Bingley are. Yeah. Yeah. But the love story is still there. And I think mm-hmm. that's what I I appreciate this because is my little romantic heart can be like, yes. And they still live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fighting zombies till the end. Canubial felicity. Can Most we? English parts. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's getting drunk listening to this episode. <laughs> That's why I said it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last question that I know I... I have found that people are asking is how do you think Jane Austen would accept this adaptation of her original novel? Oh my gosh. I think she would laugh so hard. <laughs> I think she would be crazy flattered and she would laugh so hard reading it. Like, especially if she were somehow in a modern framework and she could see like, you know, how strong, because she wrote strong women um, and had very, you know, strong ideas about what marriage should be and, um, she, I think like reading this, she would really appreciate, she would just enjoy it. Well, and I know I read somewhere that, um, they were talking about that zombies, adding zombies is such a modern take on this mm-hmm. and it's really not. They had all sorts of their Gothic, Gothic novels where they were adding ghosts in uh-huh. the supernatural Dracula. and Jane Austen yeah. even wrote one, mm-hmm. something Abby Northanger. Yes. Thank you. I was like, I I'm like, Downton. Downton. No. Northern. No. Northanger. No. <laughs> so I don't think that she'd be all surprised that someone Mm-mm. added zombies to Mm-mm. one of her books. I don't think so either. I think she would love it. And I, I agree. I think she would laugh hysterically. I think she would enjoy the satire. And the other thing I appreciated is that the writing is really good. Yeah. It's not that, you know, you just have this person called in to overlay zombies and then that's all like the writing is actually gonna mm-hmm. think she would appreciate it as its own work of art yeah. <laughs> i enjoyed that <laughs> so as we are coming towards the end are there any other points that you want to discuss thoughts that you've had things that were important megan's now going through her 12 pages <laughs> i probably don't i just want to check i don't really have anything who to talk about 
If so, I'm checking my notes, it means there's nothing like, <laughs> popping out of my brain. So who would you recommend this book to? Like, what kind of audience do you think oh. this is targeted towards? I think that's the beauty of this is because of the intersection of the two things. I mean, we're talking about relationships. But I think that there's enough blood and gore that <laughs> even someone who didn't appreciate relationships could appreciate everything going on with all of the fighting. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So I would say there's a beautiful intersection there of a couple of different audiences. And I would recommend that you have a baseline understanding of who Jane Austen was. I don't think you need to know Pride and Prejudice in order to enjoy the story, but I would say know who Jane Austen mm -hmm. is and what she stood for. Yeah, I, I will say if somebody is a diehard fan of Jane Austen, they may hate this book. Like they could have a really hard time trying to adjust to it. I, I went back and looked at my notes from when I first read this, I don't know, six years ago. And apparently I wasn't a fan. Like I remember just thinking this <laughs> book was hilarious. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess I didn't like it because I really just wanted it to be regular Pride and Prejudice. And so if somebody is kind of coming from that point of view, uh, I would either have to prepare them or just be like, no, nah, that's, that's probably not for you. But I think somebody just looking for like something silly or something fun to read, like it's a fun summer read. Was it Carrie Russell in Austin Land? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're that level of Austin fan, this is not the book for right. you. <laughs> right. If you're someone who wants to live in Jane Austen's life, this isn't it. But this is no. if you enjoy what Austin stood for. Well, good. I think that we all we all enjoyed it. Yeah. We're all Austin fans, and now we're all zombie fans. And, yeah. It was it was funny because I when I first read this, I mentioned to a couple of different guys who like you know not the same conversation, but I mentioned, um, oh yeah, I read Pride and Prejudice Zombies, and it was so funny. You know, just talking about it, and they're like, oh, you should read World War Z, and I was like, no, I I read this book because I like Pride and Prejudice, not because I care about zombies. <laughs> Although I did end up reading World War Z, and I really like it. So. So next time you can go, oh, you liked World War Z? You should read Pride and Prejudice <laughs> yeah. and Zombies. I really zombies want to have that conversation at They're some really point. the same book. So anyone that wants to know. I'm yeah. just going to start recommending it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> really, you read a self-help book? You should read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> you're, having, you're having trouble with your relationship? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> Brene Brown, Pride and Prejudice yes. and Zombies. <laughs> so now we know. The answer to all life's problems can be found in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And most English parts. <laughs> well... <laughs> We're going to wrap it up for today. We hope that you enjoyed the women takeover of the Legendarium. We know we certainly did. So again, if you want to support us, you can go on to Patreon and of course, tell your friends and family and all of our past episodes are on the legendarium.com and we will all chat with you guys later. Bye.